You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Elam Christian Center Botany, what is up? So good to be back in the house tonight. Awesome. Hey, the last time, actually, I got. I just want to honor him. Um, it's such a privilege to be a part of the baptisms that happened tonight. Hey, I've got a bit of testimony for you guys. The last time that I was here, I preached about the fact that they made me silently redundant from our worship team. Now, let me tell you, you must be a praying church because this morning they came to me and they said, Kaylin, we need you. We want you. I said, it's all right. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And let me tell you, they put me on the worship team. How good is that? Very cool. Hey, well, I'm really excited, as you can tell, to be here tonight. Uh, We're continuing on our series in Psalm 23. And I pray that as you've gone back to the scripture, because some of you may have been familiar with it when we came to recognize it. uh, But I hope that you've gained a greater insight, a greater richness, a greater revelation, and a greater uh, implication for us as believers. In fact, my biggest flex and my biggest win from the series is the fact that I've now memorized the entirety of Psalm 23. All right, half of you didn't clap, so I'm going to prove it to you tonight, all right? We're going to turn straight to Psalm 23, verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read it to you. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm cheating because there's a screen at the back. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Next, yep, yep. <laughs> I tell you, I'm just too excited tonight. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, you can go ahead and give me a clap for that. Hey, we're going to lean in tonight to Psalm 23, verse 5, which says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, the truth is this tonight. All throughout Scripture, we're given metaphors or imagery to help us to understand who God is, His character and His nature. Often what the biblical author or writer would do was they'd liken it to something that we were familiar with. In fact, David's no stranger to this. Because David himself was a shepherd, he likens the attributes and character and nature of our God to that of a shepherd and himself to a sheep. We are all sheep tonight. But in fact, let me give you some further metaphors uh, used within the Bible that help to paint a beautiful picture of who our God is using some things that maybe we're familiar with in our occupation or our life tonight. There's about 31 of these, so get comfortable. You know, here's the truth tonight. This is who our God is. To the artist, he's the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he's the life. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock 
of ages. Come on, somebody, you better get excited about that tonight. To the horticulturalist, he's the true vine. To the judge and the system, he's the righteous judge, the judge of all humanity. To the jeweler tonight, he's the counselor, the lawgiver, the advocate, that's the lawyer. To the newspaper, to the uh, newspaper agencies, he's the good tidings of great joy. Come on, to the philanthropist, he's the unspeakable gift. To the philanthropist, to the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the statesman, he's the desire of all nations. To the student, he's the incarnate truth. To the theologian, he's the author and finisher of our faith. To the worker, he's the giver of rest. To the sinner, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To the farmer, he's the good shepherd. And come on somebody, to you and I tonight and to all of creation, he's the living God, our savior, our healer, our Redeemer, our King, our King of Kings, and our Lord of Lords. And if you're excited about that and believe that, would you say amen? amen? See, Psalm 23 paints this beautiful picture of our God as the Good Shepherd. But the fact is this, the biblical scholars and authors and theologians can't seem to wrap their head around whether uh, David is staying coherent with this imagery of a good shepherd. See, in Psalm 23 verse 5, it seems to take a shift from being the good shepherd to being a host, to being a host of a banquet. And in fact, there's been a lot of theological split in this, and I'm here tonight as the reverend doctor, bishop, biblical scholar to let you know the truth and to settle the debate right here, right now. Here's the truth tonight, friend. Here's the truth tonight. Friend, he is, he is, he is more than, and he is both of those. He is our good shepherd, and he is our good, perfect host. If you're taking notes, write that down. He's our good shepherd, and he's our perfect host host. In fact, the question and the title of my message tonight that I want you to start to ponder on, and I want to ask every single one of us tonight, is, friend, are you seated at the table? Are you seated at the table? Is it all right if I teach tonight? Because we're going to go on a bit of a journey of breaking down this verse, verse by verse and thought by thought, and we're going to glean into the perspectives of both that given of a shepherd and a host, and then hopefully tie it all together for you to understand tonight. First thing you need to know when it comes to this verse is, friend, we serve a God, we know a God who wants to host you and I. He wants to host you tonight. You know, my brother and I, we just recently, while we were out, we saw this massive cliff. And we thought to, to ourselves, surely no one in their right mind has sailed and climbed this cliff. And so without any preparation and anticipation to this climb, we decided, or he decided on behalf of both of us, that we were going to climb this cliff. Now you need to understand something about this cliff tonight. This cliff was made of clay. This cliff, if you were to touch one of the stones and those rocks, it would fall down and everything would start to crumble. This cliff was a steep incline. You've got to also understand tonight that I'm no athlete, right? If I was put into athletics, I'd probably join sumo. Um, in fact, you've got to understand, and this might not come as a surprise to you, but I'm awfully short, six foot two, I like to tell myself. But when it came to this cliff, I thought, man, let's do it. Let's climb this thing. Surely no one's gone before us on this thing. And so we climbed, and because he's a lot taller, he was taking little pitiful steps. Because I was short, I started lifting my leg up to my head, trying to climb up. I was sweating. I was huffing. I was puffing. I was covered in clay. I was sweating, and I was trying to act cool. And I was doing all this in the heat of my breath, and I looked over to him to see him standing without a breath lost, doing the hucker on the side of the, of the cliff. 
in preparation for the All Blacks that we won't even go there, right? See, we finally reached the top after all of this effort, after all of this energy expensed on climbing this cliff to a somewhat average view. I'm not gonna lie, I was let down. But we look over the top of that little ridge to realize that if we were to walk 20 more steps at the base of the cliff, we would have found ourselves an already prepared track with carved out steps. So we put a whole bunch of effort in for nothing. You know, Psalm 23 tonight begins with these words, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I wanna ask you tonight, friend, how much more enriching and more focused would our worlds and lives be if we first ran to our perfect host, the one who sees all, the one who knows all, the one who authored the very nature of our lives, the one who has the better view, the fuller picture, the one who is prepared with plans and purposes for each and every single one of us. Why don't we come back to the host? In fact, let me speak to anyone tonight who has ever felt the pull and the tug of loneliness, who has ever felt like an outcast, who has ever felt the, the reluctance of what it means to be rejected, who has ever felt excluded and uninvited to the party, anyone in the room who struggles with the fear of missing out. Friend, I'm here to remind you tonight that we serve a God who has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. We serve a God who is a perfect host, who has invited us as his honorary guests to the table. Your creator, almighty God, the one, the maker of the heavens and the earth has prepared a table before us, a feast, a banquet, a party, and he's invited you to come and take a seat at the table. Are you seated at the table? Let me teach on this for a little bit. See, a biblical, in biblical times, a banquet was a great ordeal. To be invited to a banquet drew a lot of attention. In fact, a lot of people would surround the house where this feast was taking place. A lot of people wanted to be on the inn of this feast. In fact, if I were to liken it to imagery of today, it would be like the red carpet event. The red carpet was rolled out and there were paparazzi all around wanting to get in on what was happening. A banquet was no small deal. It was a great ordeal. See, this idea that God, your God, our perfect host, has prepared this table before you should give you a sense of overwhelming joy, overwhelming love, overwhelming sense of his grace towards you and I. In fact, to give you a sense tonight of what it meant for a shepherd to prepare a table before a sheep was this understanding that the sheep would go ahead of his flock, would go ahead of his sheep. He would prepare the fields for grazing for them to eat from. He would pull out all of the weeds that were in that field. He would destroy any poisonous plants. He would get rid of all the snakes in the field and he would lay out this fine, smooth, finest leather mat upon which the sheep could stand and graze from the field on. See how God has prepared a table for you. He wants to host you and all you need to do is accept his invitation tonight. We serve a God who wants to host you. My second thought or second thing that I glean from this text is, friend, he wants to anoint you. You want to say, he wants to anoint you. Psalm 23 says, you anoint my head with oil. No, our host would present his guest with the finest gifts of scented oils. And he would let the guest choose which oil from which he could choose. He would choose one of those and the, the host would anoint his head with this oil. In fact, what this meant or what this marked out was both a sign of hospitality, but it also distinguished him as an honorary guest within his household. It was a sign to all the onlookers that this was my guest, my distinguished guest, the person of honor who I've invited to this banquet. This oil set him apart as the guest of the table. 
Friend, if you know anything about anointing and the anointing oil within the Bible tonight, you know that throughout the Bible, anointing oil was used to set apart kings and priests unto the Lord. Uh, but you also need to know that the, the anointing oil was representative of the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 4, verse eight, 18 tonight. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Come on, somebody, we've been given the finest oil tonight. We've been given the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. You've been set apart. You've been immersed in him. He's in you, and his anointing is upon you. You know, the shepherd recognized this function of the anointing oil as something to, about protection. If you didn't know the shepherd, if you haven't heard throughout the series, probably heard it 10 times, but uh, anointing oil was anointed on the, used on the head of the sheep. A thick grease oil was anointed on the sheep's head to protect its nostrils from flies getting up in there, laying maggots, driving the sheep delirious and insane. And in fact, one of the results of that would, the sheep, would be the sheep would bang his head against the wall to the point of death. Let me pause and ask you tonight, friends, how's your inner narrative? How's your inner life? How's your inner voice to yourself? When was the last time you asked the Lord to anoint and set apart your thinking for him? To sanctify, to protect, to set apart your thinking for the Lord. I really felt tonight that there's people in this room and you've conti continued to struggle through uh, some thoughts and some thinking and some condemnation that you've brought upon yourself. And right now in the name of Jesus, we anoint your thinking and your thought life in the name of Jesus. Come on, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get under the anointing when it comes to your thought life. Another function of anointing the head of the sheep was to protect the sheep in times of conflict. See, one of the things that sheep would do is they'd butt heads against each other. In fact, again, to the point of death, because that's the nature of the sheep. Uh, they would butt heads against each other, but because they were anointed, because the oil was on the head, this thick, greasy oil, they would butt heads and slip off. Friend, when you and I are under the anointing of God, when we honor God with our speech, when his presence is present in all our conversations, we can butt heads, but not leave butt hurt. Oh, that preached. Let me say that again. When you're under the anointing of God, when the anointing of the Lord is upon you, you can butt heads, but not leave butt hurt. We can have our difference of opinions between believers, but when we come out of it, out of that conflict, out of that disagreement, out of that conversation, we can still come out of it unified unto the Lord. Another function of the protection that the oil provided for sheep was that a sheep would often get itself stuck in uncertain places. It would put its head between two rocks and it would get stuck in between fences and between bushes. But the anointing with oil, the anointing of the sheep with oil, helped it to slip out of those uncertain and those difficult places. Let me tell you tonight, there's people in this room and you've felt stuck. There's people in this room, you've felt like you've been going through the same issues, the same tendencies, the same sin, the same behaviors, the same habits. And I'm here to encourage you tonight, friend, get under the anointing. Get under the anointing of God. Let your life be under submission to the person of the Holy Spirit and let him get you free of those things. Isaiah 10 verse 27, the anointing breaks the yoke. Friend, the anointing breaks bondages, the anointing breaks chains, the anointing breaks addictions, the anointing breaks you out of the places where you've been bound and brings you into a greater place of freedom. Come on, somebody, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, for He has anointed you. I really believe tonight that the Lord's bringing an anointing upon people to walk back into places that you occupied, walk back into the places that you've struggled in, 
and he's going to bring to you a carrying of freedom and liberty and see you take new territory for the Lord. I really believe tonight that there's first-generation Christians in this room, and the Lord's going to lead you back into those family spaces to carry new freedom, carry new liberty, and bring about a change in your family. Come on, take new territory for the Lord. He wants to anoint you, so all you need to do tonight is submit and surrender to receiving His anointing in every area of your life. The third thing is this. Church, He wants to lavish you. I couldn't find a better word, so I just chose lavish. He wants to lavish you. Psalm 23 and verse 5, it goes on to say, my cup overflows. Now, this image for both the shepherd and the host is this idea that God spares no expense. It's this idea that we have serve and live by a God who gives in abundance. We serve a God who gives more than enough. We serve a God that in Him we're completely satisfied. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Write this down if you're taking notes. Where God leads, He feeds. Where God guides, He provides. Well, I'm going to say that again because that preached better than you responded. Let me say it again. Where God leads, He feeds. Where God guides, He provides. There's people in this room tonight. And friend, you've felt like you're in a season where God's calling you and drawing you into a new plan and place and purpose in your life and you're scared about the details. I'm here to remind you tonight, let me encourage you, take refuge and confidence in the providence of Almighty God for He's working it out for your good. Let me tell you today, your promotion and your provision, your security and your comfort won't come from the east or from the west. It comes only from the Lord. Come on, he's the God of exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, dream, or even imagine. He's a good God who does good things, and in his grace, he provides more than enough. He wants to lavish you tonight. So would you receive the abundance of his grace, the things which you didn't deserve, but God still gave it in abundance. My fourth point tonight is this, and I'm going to really labor on this bit, is friend, he wants to commune with you. Let me say that again. He wants to commune with you. You know, in recent days, I found myself reduced to tears, literally at the end of myself. And during this whole ordeal, I started to say things like, Kalen, who are you that you would be used by God? Who am I that, God, you would speak to me, that you would use me to speak to your people? God, who am I that you would do anything for me? Who am I that I'd stand in your presence? And, I was running, and as I was running through these emotions and these inner narratives and thoughts in my life, God spoke to me. He spoke to me both for me and for the people around me. Isn't that the grace of our God tonight? Even in the midst of my turmoil, even in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. In In other words, in the presence of the things which are happening in my life, he still wants that place of communing with you and I tonight. Come on, God still wants to know you. He still wants intimacy with you. He wants your attention. He wants to speak to you. He wants to move in you and through you. The beauty of Psalm 23 verse 5 is this. Intimacy and communion. A God who wants to fellowship with us in the mess of all that is happening in our lives. See, the Bible says just at the right time, Christ Jesus came and died on our behalf. Let me speak to your prayer life for a moment. See, sometimes I think we can come with all our requests and all our needs, and of course that's okay, we serve a God who's big enough for that. 
But can I encourage you tonight, don't forget that he's first and foremost a person. He wants to be known, and he wants to know you completely. He wants to know you completely. See, if I was trying to get to know a person, I wouldn't come with a list of requests and needs, and and I wouldn't just take the time to start to present that and move away from that. No, I would come, and I would sit, and I would get to know the person one-on-one. And I'm not going to sit there because Pastor Bex warned me that when you move away from your notes, you forget your notes. <laughs> See, because we're in communion, because my God knows me, he knows that loaves of bread aren't going to satisfy me. What else is here? Cheese ain't going to satisfy me. He knows that in the back room back there, there's KFC that's going to satisfy me. <laughs> See, it's because I'm in relationship. It's because I commune with the living God. I commune with the living God. You have a God friend who wants to both be known and wants to know you. He's not a vending machine. He's not an ATM. He's a person to get to know. Now, I was speaking to a friend just recently, and one of the things that we talked about was how so often in my life, when I want to pursue something or when I want something, God doesn't often give it to me in that moment. It's not till I forget about wanting that thing that he starts to release those things into my hand because he says, because the truth is this, I was holding it, I was carrying it, I wasn't releasing it to him. How could he release something that I was holding on to? Here's the secret. Friend, he's better at your life than you are. He knows the plans that he has for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. See, it's not going to be in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own wisdom that you'll know and understand the plans that God has for you. No, no, it's not going to take that. It's going to take pulling out the chair, sitting at the table, and communing one-on-one with Almighty God. Here's what you need to know tonight when it comes to communing, communing with God. Friend, our God, our perfect host, has set a table for two. He hasn't set a table for five or all these other random things. He set a table for two. And I want to tell you, friend, would you take your seat at the table? Because if you don't take your seat at the table, then you're going to allow other things to take your seat at the table. Friend, if you're seated at the table, let me tell you, oh, I'm going to sit and forget my notes. Friend, when you're seated at the table, cancer has no place at the table. Sickness and disease has no place at the table. Fear has no place at the table. Insecurity has no place at the table. Your worries and concerns have no place at the table because it's not about those things. It's about me and the Lord. All I want at the table with me is the Lord. Come on, don't get distracted by the enemies that surround you. Don't get distracted by all the details and the plans and all these things that are consuming your world and your life. Friend, those things don't have a place at the table. This is a table which is set for two, a table for you and for God. The Bible says that he himself prepared it for you in the presence of the enemies. Get this, in the presence of of your enemies, not in the company of them. Let me say that again. It's in the presence of your enemies, not in the company of them. Let me tell you what the difference is because it doesn't seem like that quite translated. (laughs) Friend, here's the difference. Move my notes. (laughs) Here's the truth. Friend, in the presence of my enemies, he's prepared this table, not in the company of them. Here's the difference. Lust might be encroaching. It might be present, but it has no place or company at this table. This is a table for me and God. 
Pride might be encroaching, it might be present, but it has no place at being in company because the only company that occupies this table is me and God. Unforgiveness might be encroaching, it might be present, but it has no place to be in company at this table because this is a table set for two between me and my God. See, too often I've seen in the life of believers that they're out there trying to resist the enemy in their own strength as if their strength was somehow going to win the battle. But the Bible actually says, it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and then the devil will flee from you. First submit to God, then resist the devil, and then he'll flee from you, not the other way around. You don't resist first, then submit, and then he flees from you. In other words, here's the truth. Keep your eyes on Jesus because as you pursue him, it becomes easier to resist the things around the table and then he has no option than to leave you alone. Prophetic people and prayer warriors in this room, I wanna encourage you, don't exhaust your prayer life. Don't exhaust your energy in praying and focusing on the activities of the enemy. Focus your prayers on the triumph and victory of Almighty God. The devil is beneath his feet. He has no power. The blood is against him. He has no authority. God has already won the victory. In fact, is there anyone tonight who has ever thought about not thinking about something and in turn all this made you do was think about it even more? It's the same with the issues of sin in your life. Friend, the more we think about not thinking about it, the more we end up thinking about it. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, don't think about the things that are surrounding your table. Think and focus on Jesus. Here's the truth tonight. Here's my guarantee to you. As you focus on him, you'll focus on less on temptation. Friend, if you focus on loving him more, loving him completely, surrendering to him completely, you'll start to love sin less and surrender to it less. When you pursue him completely, you won't have to worry about falling off the narrow road because if he's ahead of me, if he's in sight, then I don't need to worry about any of that because I know that I'm on the narrow road. See, the Bible says that the enemy encrouches like a lion, ready to devour. In other words, the moment you start to shift your focus and attention off of Jesus and onto other things, the moment you get out of godly community, the moment you get out of the word of God, the moment you start to lack in your spiritual disciplines is the moment he comes in for the attack. Can I encourage you tonight? Don't forfeit your seat at this table. Focus on God and he takes care of the rest. Let me ask you tonight, where are you rumbling where you could be reclining? Where are you fighting where you could be feasting? Where are you working, worrying, and slowly dying where you would rather, God would rather you sitting here whining and dining? What things in your life are you catering to in the place where God wants to cater for you? See, some of you in this room have disqualified yourself from taking a seat at this table because you see, God, who am I to be, who am I to be here? You don't know what I've done. You don't understand what I'm going through, what I've been through, what I'm currently journeying through. And the Lord says, it's in the presence of these things. It's in the midst of these things. It's in the presence of these enemies. It's in the sight of your giants. It's in the midst of your frustrations. It's in the light of your fears and insecurities that I have prepared this table for you. It's a table set for two. Psalm 23 verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. He wants to host you, he wants to anoint you, he wants to lavish you, he wants to commune with you. And so let me finish with the question that I began with. Are you seated at the table? I'm going to come to a close if the keys could join me. But I was thinking about it, you know, the most vulnerable position a sheep could take.
was to graze in the presence of the enemies. The most vulnerable position that you could take is to coming to sitting at the table of the Lord in the presence of all those frustrations and those enemies that are in your life. Friend Bell, do you know what it takes tonight? It takes trust. I'm trusting that the good shepherd, the carer of my soul, the lover of my soul, has it all in control. I really felt that there's people in this room tonight and that's the reason that you're not at this table is because of a lack of trust, being double-minded in your faith. In fact, I want to encourage you tonight, would you make the decision to seat yourself at the table? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd love to pray for us tonight. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. God, we submit ourselves as students of your word. God, we thank you for the imagery that you've given us through the word of God, that you are our good shepherd, the one who leads us, guides us, feeds us, provides for us. But God, we also thank you that you're our perfect host. You're the one who has set out this table for us. And so tonight, oh God, we choose and we trust. And we say, oh God, that in the places where we've feared, in the places where we've not taken our seat at the table, right now we make that conscious decision to be all in for you. We come and we recline with you. We surrender tonight in the name of Jesus. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed. Church, we never like to finish without giving people an opportunity to come to know Jesus, to make him the Lord and the Savior of your life. Here's the truth. The Bible says that we are all sinners. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Here's what sin is. Sin is to choose our ways above God's ways. And the Bible says that Jesus came at the right time. He took upon himself the death that you and I deserved. And it's by trusting in him, believing in him, and confessing that he's our Lord and Savior, that we can have forgiveness of our past, a new start today, and a hope of eternity with him. So maybe you're in this room tonight and you're saying, Kaylin, I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to take my place in the seat at that table. Then, friend, I want to extend this invitation to you. Do you want to know tonight Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to count down from three, and if that's you, what you need to do is put your hand up, and I'd love to pray a prayer with you after that. No one looking around. Three, God loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. Two, he's standing at the door of your heart saying, would you let me in. One, if that's you, would you mind lifting your hand nice and high? You're saying, Kaylin, count me in tonight. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Awesome. God bless you. I see that hand. Awesome. God bless you. Awesome. So good. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Is there anyone else tonight who's saying, Kaylin, I want to make a stand for Jesus? Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. Very cool. Hey, well, if you're praying, if you put your hand up tonight, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to repeat it after me, but if you did make that decision, then believe this from the bottom of your heart. Let me pray for you tonight. Let me encourage you, actually. This prayer doesn't save you. It's Jesus who saves you, but this prayer is an act and a confession of your faith. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for every single decision made tonight. God, we confess tonight that we're sinners in need of a Savior. God, we turn from our sin and we turn to you. We give our life completely to you, holding nothing back. God, we turn from our wicked decisions, from our sin, O oh God, and we choose to pursue you wholeheartedly. Thanks to you, today's a new day and I'm set free. 
In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, come on, can we make put our hands together and celebrate every single decision made for Jesus tonight? Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.